in order to be competitive, you've got to think regionally, you know, especially in places like the Midwest. So you like, you think of Lanesboro, you know, first thing you think of when you think of Lanesboro is, is arts and, and all the work they've declared a major in their community. It doesn't mean that there isn't other stuff in the community. Uh, but then when you kind of zoom out and you take the region as a whole, there's tremendous economic opportunity there. It's just each, it's almost like each city or town is sort of, you know, one borough of, of, a, of a much bigger community. I'm Amanda Leitner, and welcome to Rochester Rising, where we amplify the stories of Rochester entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 195 of the podcast today. So today I got to talk with some entrepreneurial ecosystem building friends via Zoom about a recent virtual conference we all attended called eShip. eShip is held by the Ewing Marion Coffin Foundation, a Kansas City-based nonprofit that supports entrepreneurs. The eShip Summit launched in 2017, and it's a convening that brings together entrepreneurial ecosystem builders. So these are the people supporting the entrepreneurs within their community. And the goal of the eShip Summits are to uh, bring together ecosystem builders to really help accelerate this really emerging field uh, called ecosystem building, which is different than traditional economic development. And it brings together ecosystem builders from across the U.S. to uh, create tools, resources, and share other knowledge to better support entrepreneurs within their communities. So this was the fourth annual summit that normally takes place every summer in Kansas City, and I was able to attend the summit in person in 2018. The virtual eShip Summit this year took place on three different days in September, two in mid-September, and one around late September, so three non-consecutive days where we got to join in with ecosystem builders from across the U.S., including a large contingent from Minnesota. So on the podcast today, we brought together some friends who also attended the panel virtually. This included Christine Beach. She's the executive director of the Kabara Institute for Entrepreneurial Studies at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. We also have on the podcast today, Garrett Liefring, who's a fellow with Lead for Minnesota, serving Green Seam and Mankato, and my colleague, Jamie Sunsbach, who's the interim executive director at Collider. So this might be a slightly different podcast than you're used to hearing here on Rochester Rising, where we normally amplify stories of entrepreneurs. But in this case, we're talking to the people that support entrepreneurs, especially through this um, kind of emerging field called entrepreneurial ecosystem building. And we talk more about exactly what that is in the podcast today. So stay tuned. Um, maybe this will help you think a little bit differently about uh, the roles you see some people play in the community and can help generate some thoughts about how to better serve entrepreneurs and create um, a system where information flows rapidly and quickly to those who need it most. And this is a great plug for our second podcast uh, called Ecosystem North that talks with other entrepreneurial ecosystem builders across Minnesota and the region to understand why they're driven to serve entrepreneurs and what's working in their community. So you can check that podcast out. New episodes come out every Friday and you can find that on our website at rochesterrising.org. And it's also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and really wherever you listen in to your podcast content. So you can check it out there. And lastly, in case you did not know, Collider, of which we are a part of, is a nonprofit that supports Rochester entrepreneurs through events, education, space, and storytelling. We're actually celebrating our one-year anniversary as a nonprofit this Thursday, October 15th. But to learn the latest news, programming, events, and education that are coming out of Collider, you can join us every Friday morning at 10 a.m. via Facebook or YouTube and hear directly from us what we've been up to that week to serve entrepreneurs and learn about programming that might benefit you. So you can tune in to our 10 a.m. Collider Coffee Breaks on the Collider Facebook and YouTube channel, as well as the Rochester Rising Facebook and YouTube channel. And if you can't make it at 10 a.m., it is recorded and posted in those channels so you can consume whenever you have the time. All right, so now on to the podcast today with Christine, Garrett, and Jamie talking about the eShip 
Entrepreneurial Ecosystem Building Conference. Thanks to, to all of you for, for being here with me today. Um, we wanted to kind of reconvene some friends after we all virtually traveled to, I don't know where we would consider we traveled, I guess Kansas City, Missouri, um, <laughs> to attend virtually this eShip Summit, um, two days around mid-September, and then one day, um, which was on um, September 29th, which was yesterday. So um, the goal of eShip, it's run by the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, and it brings together ecosystem builders from across the U.S. Just to talk about um, ways to support entrepreneurial ecosystem building and to sustain that field. And this was the fourth eShip Summit, and it had about 800 people connecting um, from larger cities to quiet rural cities across the U.S. And this has been the fourth year of eShip. So anyway, we, um, we all attended virtually. There were about 16 different people from Minnesota and we just wanted to reconnect and, and share lessons learned. And I think one important differentiation between this, you know, a lot of things are focused on entrepreneurs. So this is kind of the flip side. This is focused, eShip is focused on the people supporting the entrepreneurs, which we call entrepreneurial ecosystem builders. So that's just one key differentiation point. But so I have three friends on, on the Zoom call here. So I'll let you all introduce yourselves so people know um, who is here today, whoever wants to start. <laughs> okay, I'll get started. <laughs> I'm Christine Beach and I run the entrepreneurial programming for St. Mary's University of Minnesota, uh, where we have the Gabar Institute. And I'm Garrett Leipring. I am a fellow with Lead for Minnesota, serving an organization called Green Seam, located in Mankato, really working with connecting the food and ag uh, supply chains and economic development. And so I'm excited to be here. And I'm uh, Jamie Sunsbach, the Interim Executive Director of Collider. Well, I appreciate all of your time today uh, in the afternoon on a windy, rainy day. So there's no better place to be than on a Zoom call, right? <laughs> Maybe we'll just start, we'll have Christine start and maybe just run in that order <laughs> um, since we've established it. But Christine, what were some like key takeaways from eShib? What really kind of struck you um, from this conference? So I think right away they set the tone for being an inclusive community. And I think that was really, I mean, it couldn't be more timely for us to really look at the systemic impacts of racism and how they have influenced who has become entrepreneurs and who gets supported, especially when it comes to venture capital and funding. So there are some great um, conversations around structural racism. And so that was really a great takeaway for me on how to combat that and how to really establish communities where that doesn't happen. So I, I would say that was a big one for me. Um, I enjoyed the virtual environment because I think we were able to get a lot more people involved than we otherwise might have. But there were some great conversations. I think I was, uh, I also found it quite affirming that what we're doing here in Southern Minnesota is um, some of the best stuff that's going on. It was fun to hear that. And you had a talk too, right? How was, what was that like? So that was fun. And boy, were they uh, well put together. The, the Kaufman Foundation did an excellent job of running the conference. And it was fun. So uh, Neela Mulgard and I uh, presented on the idea of a public-private partnership in Launch Minnesota on how we are able to, to really kind of come together to support the ecosystem and the role of the state in doing that. And so I think that was a... Um, it was interesting. The people who jumped on the call and listened to that presentation were really were trying to figure out if there was a role for their state government to play in creating ecosystems. And I think they were on both sides of the fence, quite frankly. Um, some people who thought that that was an overreach and other people who thought that it was the role. And so it was a very fun presentation and conversation to just kind of outline what we're doing and especially the ideas around providing housing and childcare credits that that was something that most people had not thought about and that how that actually does allow for a broader audience of entrepreneurs to participate when you address their underlying issues like childcare and housing. So it was good. 
Yeah, I was not in that one just because I get to interact with you all so much. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, it's an interesting point, you know, how much government should um, be assisting entrepreneurs. And I guess the conversations I was in more were around the more of the mantra that the entrepreneur can't wait for the government, (laughs) that they have to, you know, push their way through, um, using resources available to them and really work at grassroots level to figure out what those resources are. Another interesting one that I went to kind of in regards to, you know, removing barriers was about the value of public library systems. And they've always been a source of equitable information flow. And I think that's something here, like I know our Rochester Public Library has access to a lot of business and marketing databases that probably a lot of people don't use Mm -hmm. and you know you don't really have access to that outside of like major university systems you know and nobody uses it or not a lot of people use it or are knowledgeable of it um so that was really interesting again that like Mm -hmm. lowering barriers to entrepreneurship and libraries are typically a place at least in this community where there's really not stigma attached to it whereas other organizations can have a stigma so something to think about. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that the conversation we had was really um, more around perhaps not the role of government stepping in, but in providing resources and connecting communities is that's really what Launch has done is create the framework for us to connect across the region. Um, But yeah, no, I, I think that there is an underlying tone within the entrepreneurial community where they don't feel supported necessarily. And often when you dive deep, it's also because they're not aware of the support that's out there. And so how do you connect them with those resources effectively? That's, that's an age old issue, I think. I have some notes here on the side. And I think along those lines, one thing that um, Philip Gaskin, who's the vice president of entrepreneurship at Kaufman said, um, essentially is that you know, real change really starts at the level of the community at grassroots. And as individuals, we have a lot of power and value and the ability to change that system. So um, I think someone else said too, you know, we're a lot of the times we're waiting for people to give us permission, but to do something or for someone else to come along and do something, but really we're kind of the leaders that we've been when waiting for. So stop waiting and just start being that that person in the community that is stepping up and doing things. Um, Yeah, because oftentimes you don't need to ask permission to do something, Um, especially if you're kind of starting small um, and figuring out what's needed first. So, yeah, I think Jamie said once or when we were talking about this, that it's like, what did you say? This is like a cult of thought or something, (laughs) e-ship. It's well, it, it, no, it's the, it's a religious experience. It's religious the, experience. you know, yeah. you're feeling down, you're feeling beat down a little bit. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're in, you know, when we used to do this in person, you're in sort of this church of entrepreneurship and it, it you're, you're around people who are kind of the believers and you're really, you leave there just charged up and motivated and, and with some new tactics and ideas that you could bring back to your community. And then it lasts about two months and then you're kind of back to the same old, same old, but uh, I always challenge people in those two months, like implement the things you learn quickly, because if you don't, it just tends to fade unless you can find a way to to continue to to interact with this this global network. Yeah, I think they talked about that a lot, too, is that you feel like, you know, you get so such momentum after crises, you know, especially right now we're in an economic crisis, a health crisis and and really, you know, um, an ongoing just discrimination crises and people becoming more aware of that or that being elevated in the published public consciousness, but just keeping up the momentum when those things surface, I feel like we've already kind of backslid on a lot of momentum that, that we had in uh, coming together. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the timing this year was really great. I mean, with with the economic and diversity and and all these political you know issues that are happening and just the general uncertainty. You know, it was like Jamie said, it was great to like worship with those with those other ecosystem builders, and it was reassuring that you know we're we're not the only ones, and that there is this collective group that you know you can connect with. And so I think the timing was really great. We should probably point out too that that eship is not a cult. Um, but I just want to like clarify that there were no like robes and secret rituals that I knew of. I wasn't invited to those parties apparently, but uh, now it's just, it's a great time. This, this work can be very lonely and isolating, even though there's a great and emerging, I think community here in Southern Minnesota that, that really gets it and wants to work together. But at the same time, it it still feels lonely and, and being able to learn from other areas is just, is, is, it's so good and it's so necessary for us to, to get out of our shells occasionally and, and see what other people are doing and helping people learn uh, from us as well. You know, I think one of the things that, that was kind of a theme that I saw pop up throughout was this idea that rural entrepreneurship has a lot to offer and rural ecosystems are very strong. And that's not something you hear a lot, right? You hear the Silicon Valley in our area, you hear about the Twin Cities and their density. So it was kind of fun to have a conference where people from rural communities across the globe were talking really about how their rural communities are centers and hubs of entrepreneurship. I completely agree. And there was another discussion point too that really talked about how the individual you know, has really globalized you know, through the access to technology and, and that, you know, it's not a matter of really where you are, it's, it's how you're connected. And, and that plays into the role of networks and the importance thereof too. Garrett, well, maybe we'll swing over to you. What were some of your key takeaways from eShip and what do you, what do you look forward to kind of implementing into how you're thinking about ecosystem building as you move forward with GreenScene? Right. So this was my first e-ship experience and I certainly went into it with an open mind and you know, it didn't, it wasn't what I expected right off the get-go. I thought there would be a lot more like interactive small group and, and, and different, you know, situations like that. We could really dive deeper into some particular, um, you know, problems and areas that need focus with, with different, you know, organizations that are in, in that same realm. But, you know, what, what I really got out of that too was that, you know, the growth of entrepreneurship is really highest in, in times of economic downturn and really taking that step forward. And again, like it was said earlier, you know, you don't necessarily have to always ask for permission or wait for the government to, to step in to support you is that you really need to, you know, get off the ground. And, you know, I had a few points there too. And, you know, really how the ecosystem moves knowledge and wisdom from those who have it to those that need it. And I think that's really important when, when seeking assistance and seeking help that you know, there's people with wisdom that have been there and done that. And you don't always have to learn the hard way. And so, you know, just by offering, you know, some of these more veterans in the space, by offering some of that experience and bits of wisdom can really, can really shine light and, you know, essentially reduce some of the risk that entrepreneurs are facing as they try to build out their, you know, product or service. And there's also, you know, a quote in there too, that was, you have to get rid of what you used to do to make room for something new. And I think that's really important, especially in, in really all things. It's like, well, this is the way we've always done it. And that doesn't always have to be the case. You know, yes, it's worked and, and yes, you know, you know, risk mitigation and different things, but you also have to have that room in which you can, you can add something new to the mix because that can often bring new ideas and, and, uh, you know, just really ignite something. So um, another point that was kind of, or at least a quote almost, was really build a network around the six people versus building, you know, around the six people. And so, you know, again, it's, it's about leveraging networks and that you can't just simply rely on those six people and that, you know, you have to think about the, the inner the intertwining of networks and how, how that all plays together. And, and just, again, the importance of, you know, really collaborating and collaborating across regions and, 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 you know, again, how you don't have to do it yourself. Right. I think it was perfect timing that Brad Feld's new book came out. Is it called startup community way now, or was that the first one? No, sorry. It's startup community way. It's the second book. Startup community ways. Yeah. Just talking about, you know, a lot of the times when, 
there's gaps in the ecosystem. We feel like we need to just put more like numbers in, like more, we need more, I don't know, incubators or more uh, businesses up on Main Street or something. And while that's true, you know, his theory, at least how I interpreted it, is that it's the connections, like you were saying, Garrett, between those resources and the value that's exchanged in between those resources that's really what's going to support and bolster the ecosystem and move it forward. So it's not so much the sum of the piece, it's not so much the individual pieces, but it's how those pieces interact and strengthen each other, adding value, which is a difficult thing to measure. <laughs> but I think too, even the whole thing of ecosystem building, the whole concept of it is, is along the lines of things, not the way things were traditionally done. <laughs> so even the whole concept of it, you know, as far as economic development goes, you know, moving away from the traditional aspect of recruiting in instead of bolstering up what's there, which is what ecosystem building is. And I don't know if you all caught, they had a great talk from um, basically a bunch of members of the community in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when the mayor in like 2012 or something took a stand that they were going to invest in entrepreneurs and not recruit companies in and how that changed the trajectory of the ecosystem. So that was interesting. Jamie, maybe we will send it over to you. What were your takeaways and how are they going to influence your ecosystem building? Um, so I think as someone, probably one of the only people, except for Amanda, that's actually been there in person, um, I think you know, there was a big difference this year to, to kind of build on what Garrett was saying. Uh, normally they're putting us to work. They're putting us into small groups. They're having us work uh, uh, through problems and issues, but it's just really, really difficult, I think, online to, to sort of replicate that same that same work that, that when they really put us through a grinder, really, when we were there the last time. And it was, it was really good. And so they had to find a, a balance. So I think they they found a, a good balance. I think some of the talks were very rushed, it felt like, or there were too many people on a panel. Uh, but I think it was really, really good. And I got to I got to meet a lot of interesting people, which I wouldn't have normally met. So I think that's my my first thought. Um what do you think, Amanda? Did you I mean, what was what was the difference in the feeling of the of the event. I'm waiting for my dogs to stop barking. I would say, yeah, to that point, um, I think, so this was the fourth year of this. So the first year was about uncovering some of the key issues facing ecos ecosystem builders. The second year, and that fleshed out into seven um, goals for e entrepreneurial ecosystem building. So I think the second year was more like diving into those seven goals um, more strategically, which, which kind of spilled over into the third year as well. So I think there was that. And actually yesterday there were more working sessions. I honestly really wish they had made this three days in a row because I feel like a lot of the momentum was gone. Um, I know it's a lot to ask for people to be, even virtual three days in a row, but it was really 11 to four or five. So it wasn't even a, it, it wasn't even a full day. I just wish there was definitely a different feel on the third day. The momentum was kind of gone because it was disjointed by about 10 days or so. And I'm not quite sure why, how that decision happened, but yeah. So I think this was more as opposed to the first three years, which were in person, this was more, okay, we're gaining some momentum in this field. How do we set up working groups to kind of continue this work moving forward? Because they do have groups that meet on calls every month that continue to work on, on these efforts. And we were involved in that for about a year or a year and a half until we really started building the nonprofit and we just couldn't invest the time outside of the community at that point. So I don't even remember if I answered the question, but I think so. Um, I just like when I can ask you a question. I think another thing that helped me a lot to validate the work we've done in the past year was really just, you know, hearing 
that there were these hard problems when it comes to ecosystem building, whether it's it's race, geography, um, gender. There's so many issues where there's just an, an inequality that exists. And I think, I think, Amanda, you said this to me during one of the breaks. You're like, I can now understand why Kaufman funded our work because it, it was very aligned with some of the things that they were working on. I think, you know, some of that was brought out last year, but it was really, really apparent this year. And so that was, it was validating in a way that now, um, you know, a lot of this work that we're doing was, was kind of front and center. And hopefully uh, we saw some sort of, some parallel efforts as well across the nation. And we were able to connect with some of those individuals and, and have conversations. So, or looking to have conversations soon. So that I think was really, for me, it's, it gets me more excited and more uh, really just charged up that, that we're doing good work and that it can have a real impact here. And then at the same time, being connected to a bigger network to ask advice and, and maybe even people that are maybe a year or so ahead of us and getting some invaluable insights to not make the same mistakes they did. So I thought that was, that was really cool. The other thing I liked this year that was a little bit different was we took typically in-person conferences when you, a speaker gets done or something, you get this flock of people that just run up and try to, you know, spend all this time with these people. And then they end up going out for drinks afterwards and they just monopolize these people's time like crazy, which good on them. And I bet Garrett's one of those people is my guess, but cause he, he, he can, he can push through a crowd. That's what I know. Um, but for me, uh, not so much. So it was really cool to be able to have a chat window open and just reach out to people and say, Hey, could I grab five minutes of your time? And I had access to so many people I would not have had access to. It was just, it was really, really fun. And I had like five or six follow-up phone conversations with people from across the country, some massively big names in ecosystem building, which was very helpful to me. And I think created a couple of longer lasting relationships. And that was, that was great. Um, it was really, uh, really encouraged that people were so giving. I mean, you know, no one knows me from anyone. And suddenly they were like, yeah, let's jump on a call. Let's talk because that's what ecosystem builders do. We're, we're natural connectors and we're, we want to help. And I guess a lot of times maybe, you know, when we're working with people who are not in this realm, it's a little bit different. And so it's just nice to have this group of people. You're like, yeah, I bet they're going to want to connect with me. And right away, they're like, yes, let's do a call. That was you know, really I cool. Completely, I completely agree with that because we you were saying we were reaching out to some of these groups, particularly um, Forward Cities, which is an organization that helps to build equitable entrepreneurial ecosystems. Um, they're actually working in my very small hometown in Western Pennsylvania, kind of post-industrial to try and, you know, spur business development there in a town where, you know, the steel industry sucked a lot out. Um, but yeah, I messaged their um, ecosystem navigator who's doing work in Kansas City in the Hispanic community. And he got back to me with one an hour. And then we're talking with him next week with, with Julio, our new ecosystem navigator. So, and they're a few months ahead of, or about half a year or more ahead of us. So that'll be really interesting to see how they're doing. Um, and I also, one of my very good friends from college who I kind of lost touch with was there. So I messaged her and she's uh, in the venture capital world in San Francisco. So we're, we're talking on Friday. <laughs> and it's been like, Ooh, it's been like a decade. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was kind of, it's such a, it's weird. Cause it's like a small world because when we went to Kansas city two years ago, she saw a picture <laughs> I posted and she was like, Oh, I was supposed to be there, but <laughs> I didn't get to go. So it's such a small world. Like once you get into this realm and you're like seeing the same people year after year, even between different, like conferences and different activities in the space it's it's still pretty small and emerging but yeah people get back right away like I knew he would get back <laughs> and he would continue that conversation yeah I was just gonna say I think one of the things that is valuable about that kind of a conference is this idea of professionalizing the the ecosystem building 
because like Jamie said, we're connectors, we're people who are helping other people. So it's hard sometimes to feel like you have your own identity in that realm. Um, as a former entrepreneur, I probably identify more with entrepreneurs than ecosystem builders, but that's what I am now. And so it's kind of uh, good to be in a community full of them and say, yeah, how do you get better at what you're doing? And how do you create networks around that? So that when you go to help those entrepreneurs, you're not thinking you're one-stop shopping, that you are trying to really create a network of resources for the entrepreneur. So for me, that was a big part of it too. Yeah, and I think that's important too, even when you're like, they talk a lot about how do you message like the skills that are needed to do this. And um, it is kind of interesting because, you know, when you're looking for these jobs or putting out applications for this job, these types of this type of work, like what exactly does an ecosystem builder do? What is that capacity and how does that overlap or is separate from traditional economic developers? So it's an interesting thing to think about. And that's one of those working groups that's continuing on. So Garrett, I'm sure you can jump on with them because they're always looking for people to help um, continue some of these conversations and a lot. So there's been a lot actually that's come out of this. Like um, there's something called um, Keystone Podcast, which Jamie introduced me to, which was from eShip. There's something called Unsung Heroes, which is a storytelling effort, which was through eShip. And they're also trying to like get people to add entrepreneurial ecosystem terms to like Wikipedia. So that's like a, <laughs> that's like an effort too. I mean, there's more, there's more um, structured and, and, and more concrete things too, but there has a lot that's sprung up out of this over three years. I would argue even kind of our ecosystem navigator program. I mean, it's not unique to, it's unique to Rochester that we're doing it, but you're seeing similar things now. Um, across the U.S. now in at least 10 different communities. So I think those are all things that you could probably say stemmed out of these kind of gatherings. I think you're getting the most important validation. You know, I was in a couple of private sessions with or breakout rooms with people who had been hired by their city as an ecosystem builder or hired by their EDA and they were a critical part of their EDA um, that's huge. That that really more than anything validates the the usefulness of ecosystem building, and really being able to put some funds and resources behind. You know, I always said if if I had you know a guaranteed salary for the next five years, I think I could do a lot of work because I'm not going to worry about raising funds. And when you're attached to an EDA or a city, um, you know, most likely you have that you have that ability to do that and you can just focus on doing the work. And there's a, uh, my friend, John in, in Fargo, um, that's what he does. And I just envy his job because he just gets to sit and talk to entrepreneurs and make those vital connections and help. And that's, that's what he's laser focused on. And it's created so much impact in that city that it's just, it's amazing. So I really think that it's, you know, I, I do worry that it's it's going to become one of these, like, you've got to go through all these courses and get certified to do this sort of thing, because I think that sort of, it's good in a way, because maybe that commands, like, decent salaries, makes it a quote-unquote legitimate profession, but I think it also creates a barrier for some people who may be natural connectors to just jump in and, and think, well, I'm not a ecosystem builder, because I haven't taken the test, so... That uh, probably has to be more more thought when it comes to that. You know, when I think about the difference between economic development and ecosystem building, I think really, I mean, and, and Kaufman does a nice job. They kind of outline this idea that um, economic development helps with creation of jobs, wealth, innovation, but ecosystem building is where we unlock the talent that people are bringing to the table and connect them with the resources to leverage their own talents. And I would say that, that they're complementary. They're not, you know, they're not the same role. They are sometimes filled by the same person, but they're not really the same role. And I think that often the best ecosystem builders are people who've gone through the entrepreneurial experience themselves because then they know the pain points and they can address those pain points. But this idea of empowering citizens to tackle challenges that Kaufman talks about, that's more of a city role. That's more of an economic development role, I, I think, when you talk about empowering citizens. But 
the idea of reinventing a local economy, that's got to be a, a collaboration between the ecosystem and the city. And I, you know, that's when we recently talked to a lot of city leaders, that was the whole thrust of that conversation is how do we create, you know, reinvent essentially how we support entrepreneurs in this community. So for me, that was a fun part of it all. Yeah, there's a, there's a school of thought that says ecosystem building is more akin to workforce development. And that's actually where they should sort of that world should lie. I have no clue. At the end of the day, I just want to help entrepreneurs. So <laughs> that's where I'm staying for now. Right. And so maybe the economic development world would say, I would like to help businesses. And so the this ecosystem piece is more focused on the individual, whereas EDA is more focused on the business. And you need both. One of the main things I took away from this is thinking like on the system level. And sometimes I feel like we shy away from that because it's gotten to be kind of this charged term, but knowing that everything's tied together. And when you're looking to implement something or make a change, you need to think about the whole system and really figure out where the problem's lying. Cause it's often not where you, where you think it is. It's just a symptom and not the problem. And knowing that when you do something over here, it's going to affect something over here. So you really have to understand all the pieces and then understand who's not, that those systems aren't set up for everyone to be included in and to participate equally. So looking at who is not being involved in that system. And then one of my favorite stories that I heard came out of, um, they had like these fire starter sessions or smaller sessions, but it was... um, from Pikesville, Kentucky. Um, I don't know if, if you all heard <laughs> heard this session, but it was basically retraining, um, or re- how, trying to revitalize their community after um, the coal industry shut down. So this was a town in, in Appalachia, rural Kentucky. Um, and it was a lesson around how basically and this was said again and again, that you need a density of trust and unity around a central clarifying purpose um, when you're trying to re-identify or develop um, kind of a culture or you have people say like a thesis for your community. So pretty much you have to have everyone on board with um, the mission and vision of, of your ecosystem. And in this um, group, um, an ecosystem builder, his name was Jared Arnett from SOAR, an organization called SOAR in Pikesville, um, was talking about how um, in 2013 um, in, in Appalachia, you know, the coal industry was pretty much wiped out. So he, uh, I wrote down a thousand plus partners. I don't know if that's accurate, but let's say many partners came together in a very inclusive approach, uh, really to think of a new vision for for what the future of that community was going to look like, because I was saying a lot of these areas when, you know, West Virginia, if anybody's read Hillbilly Elegy, like those communities are wiped out when some of these industries go away, like steel, like coal, and that's going to continue to happen. Um, So they held multiple listening sessions and working groups with um, entrepreneurs, with service providers in the community. And together they landed on the thought that technology could really disrupt poverty in their community. Um, so they developed a blue, together a blueprint for the future of Appalachia. And today, more people in Eastern Kentucky are working remotely than there, than there are people working in coal mines there. So they really um, work to retrain. So they had an organization called BitSource that came in and themselves retrained coal miners to code. Um, and basically helped them to become remote workers across multiple different uh, industries within Eastern Kentucky. Um, I did ask Jared, like, who who did the training? And he said it was primarily this organization called BitSource. He did say they originally had, um, I think this was a good example of start small and see, I mean, obviously they came up with a whole vision, but as far as the training, what occurred just this one organization called BitSource did the initial training, then the community got on board. So it was just that one nugget. Then the university system came on board and that was kind of the catalyst. Um, And they started um, 
the university started training programs for um, digital economy skill sets. Um, heard a similar thing in Albuquerque. It started small at the grassroots, then you prove that the interest is there, and then you know you can build those programs. But I mean, Christine, you'd you'd have great insight on this. You know, he said basically it's it's it was really hard in the community to um, build programs and implement programs and put money into programs that were training a workforce for like a couple, at least, you know, a generation or so into the future for jobs that aren't existing yet. I mean, in their case, they, they had some because they wanted to go this technology route, but now they're planning for like the future and rethinking what they're offering in that community. So I think that was really interesting because, you know, no one of those pieces could have done that together. And together they came up with that vision of what, how they were gonna revitalize that community. And he said, people, he said the broadband was an issue. So they had some people have to move like 40 miles away <laughs> to get better broadband so they could have these jobs. But it was really, really interesting. That's one that'll kind of stick with me. Um, as we move forward and just thinking about, you know, just start that nugget and see what happens. And then, you know, momentum will start to happen in your community. Yeah. You know, I would say that, so there's two things that I'm thinking of as you're talking about that. First is this always this existing tension between when you have an industry that is dominant and you're fearful that it takes over the whole ecosystem. And yet, that's where most people's interests lie and that's where their experience lies. And, you know, in our community, it's the people who have come here through a medical background and research background that have interests in biotechnology and the medical field. And there's this tension to make sure that those who are outside of that industry are equally represented and brought into and flesh out the ecosystem in a nice, diverse way. So I think, I think that's always a tension. It doesn't matter if it's a coal mine or a medical hospital, right? The, the tension of who's, how much do you focus on the, the primary industry? Um, and then the other thing I think is, as you were doing this, so you know we're, we're rolling out this graduate certificate in innovation entrepreneurship. And one of the questions that you get asked from university administrators is, there's a there's a kind of a pro forma way to approach new programs and that's how are you meeting uh, the demands of the workforce? Mm -hmm. And there are metrics and database that you go to that tell you here are the skills that are in demand. And entrepreneurship doesn't fall in that. Innovation doesn't fall in that. It's not a neat little box that goes with engineering or whatever else, right? And so trying to explain to people that it's, it overlays whatever skills they have so that they can use their skills to be job creators and not just job takers. And, and trying to have that conversation is tough if you're in a, a system where that's not the natural dialogue, right? What jobs will this create? Well, we don't know yet. We're gonna have to find out. They could be the next best buy in this community so we can support them on their way up. So anyway, those are, yeah. I think what they said is absolutely spot on. Yeah, and well, we had, um the E1, too many E words, the E1 expo, I think it was like in between these two, these sessions, but they were talking about like a, a thesis for your community, which is kind of what you're saying, Christine, when, you know, <laughs> there's always this tension when everything, when a lot of the support and business is in one industry. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that. Like you do, you come across some danger too economically. <laughs> and then you're like, if you're not in that industry, you feel very excluded and like you don't belong. And, you know, not that medicine's ever going to go away, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, well, I think, yeah, it's really hard for people, right? So if you want to, there was one of the conversations was around, why don't we have more tech entrepreneurship in rural areas. Well, if what's valued most is ag, then when you say I have an idea for an app, you might not get the support and infrastructure you need unless it happens to be an ag app, right? Try saying that five times, ag app. <laughs> but 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 I so I think it's true of any dominant industry in a region, you know, that just drives people's 
fear of being too dependent on one industry and wanting to be more diverse. And it's a challenge unless you're a really, really big place. You know, if you're in New York City, you're not focused on one type of industry. But if you're Rochester. I think it goes back to, I can't remember who told me this at one point. It could have been Brad Feld. Um, You know, to your point, Christine, New York's a big place. Like there's a lot going on. There's a lot that could be sustained. Um, You know, he was pushing to, yes, I think the term they used, Greg used was declare a major. So your community should declare a major. But in order to be competitive, you've got to think regionally, you know, especially in places like the Midwest. So you like, you think of Lanesboro, you know, first thing you think of when you think of Lanesboro is, is arts and, and all the work they've declared a major in their community. It doesn't mean that there isn't other stuff in the community. Uh, but then when you kind of zoom out and you take the region as a whole, there's tremendous economic opportunity there. It's just each, it's almost like each city or town is sort of, you know, one borough of, of a, of a much bigger community. And so, um, yeah, I was, uh, fortunate enough to have Diane Rucker from UEL university enterprise labs on my, on my podcast last week. And Diane has done a lot of work in the Boston area around, uh, ecosystem building. And she was saying that, uh, what they've, what the research has come up with is, um, if you can create in your own community, this sort of, uh, one quarter of the businesses are focused on high tech, high growth, and the other three quarters are main street businesses. And that's really at least what, what, you know, smarter people than me have determined to be the correct mix of, for sort of ecosystem success. So that's something that's been in the back of my mind. And really, if you think about Rochester, and you think about the number of medical startups in our community, we're not even close to one quarter. Like it's probably 98% not medical, even though we're known for medical because we have this large medical institution in our backyard, but there aren't that many startups focused on medicine. So it's uh, it, it's interesting to think about when you think about Rochester's future, but I really think the important point is each one of our communities has something special. And again, if we pull back and we look regionally, there's a lot of opportunity here. You know, I'm sending ag people to Garrett. Um, Will Kitchen would always say, you know, send me, send, (laughs) well, first get an intern. And then after that, um, you know, it's manufacturing. We need to, we need to have discussions about Winona. You know, there's, there's just so much value in, in, in this regional effort. And that's something that, Larger communities, even like a Kansas City, they don't think that way. And it's something f- that we really need to focus on. And I think it's uh, it's something that over the next year, it's I'm pretty committed to doing for sure. I think we talked about this before, even regionally, you know, driving or connecting from Rochester to Winona is a fast, it's, it's geographically further, but it's a faster drive than from one twin city suburb to the other. So we are, you know, we do have that capability. It's just in your mind, it seems like so far, but it's not, it's less than an hour. I mean, you know, Christine, you drive, you drive or drove it frequently until COVID. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, so I don't know if it's the drive that stops people or if it's the different um, focuses that the communities have. Um, you know, I think Winona, you have a lot of manufacturing and you have a lot of Main Street businesses that are trying to really develop. And I think that's true of a lot of towns in southeast Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Rochester, which really has not had a focus on manufacturing at all. And so you end up with different kind of communities in the, in the system. And I think that drives it as much as the distance as anything else. Well, we are nearing the end of our of our time. Um, so yeah, I I'll open it up if anyone has um, any final thoughts, any last burning thoughts they wanted to share about um, eShip or anything that we um, talked about, and then we will sign off. <laughs> I have one free books. I'm just saying, you know, anytime I can go somewhere and I get a free book, I'm totally on board with that. So. Um, there's this book, Strategic Doing. I 
actually was so in love with the concept of the book. Uh, as soon as uh, I can't remember his name now, I'm, I'm losing it. Uh, Edward Morrison spoke, or they had a video um, at eShip. I ordered the book immediately on Amazon. And then of course, a day later, they're like, and you have the capable, you know, you can get this yeah. book for free. And I'm like, ah, skunked. But uh, I've, I, I have really enjoyed that book. It, it is really, and I know Kaufman is taking it pretty seriously as really how they do things from now on. And it, it is really, you know, to hear, to finally read a book that says, uh, maybe SWAT isn't the best thing you should do right now. Um, that was like, oh my gosh, as someone has come from Mayo, like we live on SWAT. We live on a lot of these hierarchical um, uh, sort of ways around planning strategy and and their push is this sort of networked strategy where everything is flat and these networks feed into each other and it's a very different form of thinking and so that's the biggest thing I'm going to take away is is just a new way to think about you know basic strategy and I hope to get through the book and and then I'm going to buy the book for the entire board and we could we could then read uh, about maybe some different ways of looking at a planning strategy that's not so hierarchical, but it's more network dependent. Love it. We're gonna have to talk offline, Jamie, on how you got these free books. <laughs> you didn't get the books. You didn't read your email. Yeah, read your email, jeez, Garrett. <laughs> I'll have to look. <laughs> the swag bag. And from the E1 Expo. Oh, from E1. I thought this was for eShip. Both. No, it was from Egypt. eShip, yeah. Well, I will keep an eye out for that. (laughs) (laughs) You missed it on the E1. (laughs) Missed the boat. I don't know about Kaufman. But yeah, I actually think I ordered that. I asked for that book too. I can't remember. I think that was my biggest takeaway too. the, The hierarchical versus the flat thinking and recognizing when you're dealing with an organization that typically operates one way and as opposed to um, ecosystem building where we want it to be kind of flat and being able to connect in quickly. So, yeah. There was also a hashtag going on, hired myself, which I loved. They had like some video of some entrepreneur and, you know, this person couldn't, no one would hire them. So they made their own job and she was like, I hired myself and like everyone like blew up about that. They loved that. And that turned into a hashtag. So (laughs) I think we should make that into a thing. I think so. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for, for taking time to do this. Um, Someday we will see each other in person, (laughs) but it's been a while (laughs) for some of us, (laughs) but I appreciate your time and yeah, thoughts about about ecosystem building and, and takeaways. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks, Amanda. All right. Thanks so much to Garrett, Christine, and Jamie for sharing their insights, their excitement about eShip and things that they'll take away um, for their communities or our community here in Rochester. So there were a lot of great resources that everyone talked about throughout this conversation. So we have a lot of those links in our show notes, so you can check them out there. We also experimented with chaptering last week, and that seemed to go over pretty well. Um, so if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or through our web platform, Um, That can help you kind of skip ahead to where you want to listen to in the podcast. Hopefully you want to listen to the whole thing, but in case you don't have the time to, which I understand, you can skip ahead or just listen into what is most relevant to you. And if you're on YouTube, obviously that chaptering is a lot easier um, to jump around to various parts of podcasts. So you all seem to like it. So I will continue to do that um, because it's easy and I think a really effective way uh, to break down content. All right, that's a wrap for us at the podcast today. Please make sure that you are subscribed wherever you like to listen in to your podcast content so that you never miss any of the stories we share on Rochester Rising. And if you had time, we'd really appreciate if you rated the podcast as well, which will help other people find us. So tune in next week for a brand new episode.